Hi, my name is Justin Dwyer, and this is episode one of Youth After the Rock, where I talk to the people I grew up with in church to trace our different journeys out of Christianity and into who knows what. I'm here with my co-host, Eb Tang. Eb and I are friends who've bonded over a love of books, writing, and picking up and dropping too many random hobbies. Hi, Eb. What have you been up to this week? Hey, how's it going? Um, not much this week. Just uh, getting ready for this inaugural podcast of ours. Really excited to talk about um, and religion and journeys coming out of it or however you feel about it. And um, just excited to hear your story today and maybe talk a little bit about mine too. Nice. Yeah, yeah should be fun. Yeah. Okay, well, this is episode one of the podcast. So let's talk about why we're doing this. I have long been fascinated with people who are different than me, but I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian environment. So I've always had these voices internally and externally telling me that I need to be careful who I talk to about what, because anyone could cause your faith to slip or lead you astray. Uh, More and more growing up, I found my family and friends from church becoming part of the dreaded statistic of millennials leaving Christianity for something else. In the worldview of a Christian, when someone leaves the faith, it's like a death. I felt so much fear for these people I loved who, I believed, either Satan had tempted into evil or they just loved the selfish pleasures of the world more than Jesus. I wasn't just afraid for them, though. I was afraid of them, uh, because if I got too close, would I become just like them? As a kid who dealt with a lot of anxiety and perfectionism, making non-Christian friends and keeping extra-Christian friends was really frustrating and confusing to me. I, I wanted to be a light to the world, but I couldn't let the world suck me in. None of my relationships outside of church could be genuine because I was either making a salvation project of everyone or protecting myself from evil influence. Uh, Usually I was just paralyzed between the two. Uh, Over time, though, I saw how the people who left Christianity lived their lives. I expected debauchery and selfishness and hatred of God, but that's not what I saw. The stories I was told did not reflect the reality of the lived experience. So, here we are today. In the last couple years, I've left Christianity myself, which we'll talk about in a minute. And now I want to hear the stories I was too afraid to ask about as a teenager and young adult. And I think think I'm still a young adult. I'm 29 now. (laughs) But, uh, you know, a younger adult. Um, So this podcast is a project of gathering up the stories of a community that has been scattered by the unfounded shame of change. Uh, There are so many communities still like this, and so many people grappling with the isolation of changing in ways that don't line up with the doctrine of the community. My hope for this project is that my community, the scattered remnants of my church, The Rock, can in some way be restored and made sense of. Uh, In the process, I hope others will find a way to give themselves permission to learn the stories of the people around them who might have been quietly excommunicated in some way or another. In this episode, we're going to talk about my story at The Rock, my journey out, and ultimately out of Christianity. 
But first, let's learn a little bit about Ebb. Uh, what's your story, and why did you agree to co-host a podcast about a bunch of people you've never met? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think I'm going to get too much into my my story because that's. I think if uh, you're going to be telling your story, and then my this could balloon into like a three-hour podcast. But um, I'll give you the gist of it. Is uh, so I think what's interesting is that after meeting Justin and you know bonding over Right Club and stuff, and then hearing about his. I guess emotional journey coming out of Christianity. Um, it's, it reminded me a lot of the stuff I went through when I was about your age, you know, we're probably about a generation apart. So, um, I mean, I'm not that old, but old enough to say that we're a generation apart. Um, but I find that in hearing other people talk about religion, you know, not just the, the two of us, that there are similar emotional journeys but it's also very different. Like religion was slightly different when, you know, when I was that age. And it's really interesting to hear how it's evolved over time to where you are now and hearing whether or not it's easy or difficult to leave the faith, so to speak. Um, because I know that my journey was, uh, it had its difficulties, had its ups and downs, but, you know, I'm here now and I'm fine and I'm happy. And uh, I think, I'm really interested in getting um, others people's stories and helping them uh, relate to this journey that we're all on, really, and figuring out just what the hell's going on in the universe. But um, my personal conclusion is just that uh, if we just try to be the best people we can be, it doesn't matter really what the construct or framework your belief system works from. And um, I'd rather us just all be good people than, you know, adhering to some strict structure that seems to cause a lot of problems in the world. So yeah, hand it back to you, Justin. Great. Well, I think from there we can kind of just jump into my story, uh, with, with the rock. Um, you know, I, I'll start from the beginning. Um, you know, I came to the rock when I was, 12 years old, my family moved over to California from uh, Nevada, you know, just a two hour trip, but uh, for a little kid, that's, you know, the entire world. Um, left the place I grew up in and moved to somewhere else. And we were looking for churches, weren't quite sure where we were going to go, but I grew up in a you know, big Christian family, had six siblings, uh, always went to church growing up and so we we were initially looking at my uncle's church he was actually a, a pastor of a presbyterian church and that was not the kind of church i grew up in it i grew up in uh, what's known as a pentecostal church so um a lot of focus on speaking in tongues, um, usually more sort of outgoing, loud worship. Um, I, I feel like my Pentecostal church was kind of, uh, it, it wasn't maybe what you might expect from a Pentecostal church for the most part. There wasn't a ton of loud worship, not a lot of uh, crazy things happening. Um, there's, you know, you usually expect some some speaking in tongues or uh, maybe raucous behavior, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember you uh, 
told me about the whole speaking tongues last time, which we actually tried to do an episode of this podcast <laughs> previously, and it just came out horrible. So we're doing it again. But yeah. we did talk about the whole speaking of tongues thing. Um, I'm not going to make you do it again <laughs> like we did last time. But it would be, I think, interesting to maybe touch upon that aspect a little bit. Like, just what is that about, really? Yeah. So, in short, it's something out of the Bible. Um, it happens a few different ways in the Bible, and so people interpret it all kinds of different ways. Uh, I'll try not to get into all of them like last time, <laughs> but... Uh, for the most part, the way I saw it was people would basically just have a sort of personal way they spoke to God. Um, it, it was less in my experience about speaking an actual language and that being like interpreted for someone to actually understand and more about speaking directly to God. But there, there are, uh, you know, reports of that happening to people speaking actual languages that other people understand but uh i don't think i ever saw anything like that so So it's all very personalized to the individual there's no like consensus on how to do it really yeah exactly yeah i think for the most part so um yeah normally in the in the pentecostal sort of denomination uh tradition whatever you want to call it uh tugs is a big deal it was not made that big of a deal that I understood growing up. Um, it seemed like a cool thing to do, a cool way to like talk to God. But when I you know, left that tradition and we moved to California, uh, we you know, checked out my uncle's church, decided it wasn't my, my parents' thing really. They, they wanted more of the, the energy, the clapping, the jumping, the dancing the praying for miracles and healing and so that's how we ended up at the rock which is much more uh much more that lots of lots of energetic worship uh very engaging speakers very uh you know charismatic in the traditional sense of the word um and you know they they spoke in tongues there but it wasn't kind of preached as part of the theology that you needed to speak in tongues to be a Christian, uh, which is more of a Pentecostal belief. So the rock was more charismatic, which similar to Pentecostal, but I, th- I think the speaking in tongues thing being part of salvation is probably the, the big differentiator between the two. Yeah. And uh, charismatic being, what's the differences there? So charismatic... I think it it probably sprung out of uh, there was a movement in like the LA area. I, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was kind of in the early 1900s where <clears throat> people were, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, really energetic worship. Um, and then I think a big part of it was the like being slain in the spirit. If, if you've heard of that at all. Yeah, we kind of mentioned it. Yeah. Before, yeah, I think probably a lot of people can see like the memes uh, in your head of like Benny Hinn. He's like a famous, really charismatic kind of televangelist type of guy. And he would go up to people and like touch them or... Like the hand like, on the forehead type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Put even the hand healed. on the forehead. Yeah, yeah or like okay. even sometimes like wave a 
jacket at them or something <laughs> and like entire rows of people would collapse on the floor uh so basically being slain in the spirit is yeah just kind of being overcome okay. with i don't know the You're holy spirit ecstatic and filled with the holy spirit or whatever exactly yeah, yeah. so it's so much that you like fall over you can't handle it mm-hmm. so that was the sort of thing that would happen at the rock um it wasn't like every Sunday someone was getting slain in the spirit, but uh, every once in a while you would see it. And then, Were you ever slain? No, I was never slain in the spirit. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that explains why I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wanted to be. Um, yeah. We, I'd say once I got kind of comfortable at The Rock, because, you know, at my first time there, I was like, these people are crazy. Like, <laughs> what is going on? There's too much jumping and dancing everyone's too happy uh maybe they were <laughs> um but towards about six months there i went to winter camp um and you know lots of churches do winter camp or summer camp um you know you go to someplace a couple hours away mm-hmm. and for us i mean for a lot of churches it's just kind of a fun time maybe you go sledding maybe there's snow or something if it's winter camp um for the rock it was all about like worshiping basically um and i mean that's that was kind of the big focus a lot of the time at the rock was um having concert like worship services um and you know it's it's exciting <laughs> if, if you've ever been to a concert that's kind of what worship feels like every week yeah it sounds like a pretty like energetic communal experience mm-hmm. um, exactly. why are you talking about the whole slain in the spirit thing um i was a little curious is this something that's structured like you don't get to be slain in the spirit until you like level up because i know like in catholicism you're not actually allowed to take communion until you've gone through you know the classes and whatnot um, no, I feel like that's maybe one of the hallmarks of charismaticism is that it it kind of goes against a lot of the those traditional things that you'd see in in Catholicism and maybe Anglicanism, some of the more like traditional liturgical. You know, this is the formula. This is how the service goes. Um, that's something you'll hear a lot in charismatic churches is like, you know, we don't want to follow a formula. We just want to let the Holy spirit do what the Holy spirit's going to do. So if you walk in church for the first time ever and know nothing, you could get slain in the spirit. (laughs) If you barely know who Jesus is, you just walk Um, in and just just collapse and be overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Like there's, yeah, you don't have to like, earn it or anything Mm -hmm. um you just have to be in the right i don't know spiritual emotional whatever headspace for that so my yeah my first winter camp was i think probably the first time i saw people like get slain in the spirit um we went to we we did the winter camp with this church called bethel Um, they're based in Reading, a few hours north and <clears throat> Bethel is really well known in the Christian world like now because um, they release a lot of albums, a lot of worship albums, like their songs are sung all over the world. Uh, so very, 
very well known now. I think at the time that I first started going to The Rock, uh, they they were known in the area. I don't think they were releasing albums or anything like that, so it wasn't like a, a you know big music industry type of church at that point. But they were definitely charismatic. Uh, if you live in Reading, you've probably had someone approach you and ask if they can pray for you. Like, the the city itself is just full of people who go to Bethel. Um, and so you see a lot of that there. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, we kind of looked up to Bethel because it was like, oh, how can, how can we make our city uh, f- feel this, you know, full of the Spirit? And how can we you know, be praying for people so much that everyone kind of knows who we are. Mm. Yeah, I've actually, I mean, I live in Sacramento here, and you're not too far away. I've definitely come across people here and there who have said to me, hey, can I pray for you? Can I, I always, I never really know what to say. I just go, go ahead, whatever you want to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't, I haven't had that happen in recent years. I don't know how I would respond. Um, That'd be interesting. I see it as, look, it's not going to hurt me if they want to do, do their thing. It's really, I feel like, it's more for them than for me. Mm-hmm. So if they want to go through the motions of it, and I, I think I draw the line if they need me to, like, center myself in their prayer with them, you know, then I'm very open about, like, okay, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do. I appreciate you want to pray for me, but this is, just to be very clear, this is your thing. Right. You know, you don't need to bring me into it. I respect it, but... Yeah. There's, there's a boundary here right yeah yeah i think i think for me now i i just associate so much uh you know maybe low level trauma with mm. people praying for me and me asking to pray for people that i i probably would not want to let that happen at this point but so you think it would be more antagonistic you just tell them no just probably um I, you know i'd probably just be like hey no thanks okay. appreciate it mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Would, would you be offended if you said no thank you and they just did it anyways? Like, would that feel intrusive? Probably or would you kind just, of. Would you just walk away? and? Yeah, I think maybe now I, I wouldn't be so offended. I feel like maybe a year ago or so I it might have been more tender. <laughs> you know, I think I think to me, uh, if I hear, like if I hear, heard a Bethel song right now, um, it's I would triggering for you. Yeah, I'd probably yeah. just like leave the room. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was at the park uh, a few months ago, and there was you know some party or group at the tables nearby, and they were playing. I think it was Bethel music. At least it sounded you know like that kind of music, and like I, I was just like I'm gonna. I'm going to go walk over there for a little while. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't like sit here and listen to this. Um, because, it, you know, going back to winter camp and like the emotional experience and getting slain in the spirit, uh, there is so much associated with that music. Um, you know, if I think about being in a church service, uh, especially as a younger teenager, there was kind of this performativeness that everyone was doing or feeling like as a kid you look at people jumping up and down and getting really excited and getting slain in the spirit and you think like oh man those people are like really holy and like okay I want I want to be like 
that close to God. I want to be that good of a, a kid or a person or whatever. There's a little bit of a peer pressure situation too. Yeah, yeah. like peer pressure and yeah, I think even pressure from the like pastors, leadership of like, you know, let's really go after God and like make the Holy Spirit welcome, which always confused me. <laughs> like we would talk about like inviting the Holy Spirit in and being open to what the Holy Spirit does. Um, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is like omnipresent. And so it's like... Yeah, so why chase it? It's already yeah, gone. like, why, yeah, why do we need to chase it? Why do we need to, like, I don't know, be open to the Holy Spirit doing what it's going to do? Um, Was it more of this assumption that people are closed off and we need, need to open you back up? Or, like, where's that assumption come from? Yeah, probably that. I mean... The, I think the way I think of it now is it's it's really just kind of flowery language that doesn't really mean much on its own. It's kind of just like inspiring sounding. Um, yeah. Get the adrenaline going, get the blood going. Exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody, let's do this. Right. You know, <laughs> like kind of a, a coach. Very rah-rah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So lots, lots of Christianese like that. Mm. Yeah, so going back to winter camp, people getting slain in the spirit, there are like ridiculous things. They kind of put the people who like were getting really slain in the spirit and there's getting slain in the spirit and then like, I don't I, I feel like holy laughter is what people call it, where you're just like cracking up, like hysterically laughing uh, for a long time just because you're overcome with joy or something. So they kind of put all those people in the back room to sort of contain like <laughs> what was going on. Did they do that because it had a potential to like disturb people in a way? Kind of. It was yeah. Just I mean, so maniacal. Like. Yeah. I think there's, there's, I mean, there, you know, you've got a few hundred kids in the room and so everyone is kind of having a different experience. So I think to some level, you know, they wanted to like respect people who maybe were, uh, this is your section. This is <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I went in the back room on my way outside or something. Like, I think I needed air. I don't know. And, like, there was a kid who was just, he was on the ground and he would just go up to anyone who walked by and he's like, pull my finger. (laughs) And then other kids would be like, oh, I see angels around you. Things like that. So that was pretty typical of kind of a winter camp experience. Um, And... I think an interesting thing about winter camp was it sort of did this cyclical thing for us where every year we'd have this really intense emotional experience every, I think it was in February. And, you know, for me, I, I would kind of look to winter camp and be like, okay, I'm going to like get all fired up for God. I'm going to start like doing devotionals and having quiet time alone with God and, um, you know, investing more in my relationship with God so I can go and be a light to the world. Um, you know, I think, I think kind of the outward expression is one thing, but it was really tied back to like this sense that I had, and I think was kind of preached and a lot of other people felt was that like, we were in this to like change the world and like, show people God and get people saved. Um, and I think I definitely had this sense that 
you know, we were going to cause a revival to happen. And, you know, it's this kind of thing that would spread out and um, people would get saved and the church would grow and, uh, you know, sin and the devil would be, you know, I don't know, thwomped. <laughs> I'm curious when things, because there's always this critical mass that happens in terms of, you know, how much reach you can have or how much influence. And I guess a lot of that depends on how charismatic your leadership is, charismatic in the dictionary sense of the word. Um, when you do hit these thresholds, what's the logic or rationale there? Is it just, oh, these people aren't ready to receive and we'll just keep trying type of thing? Or Yeah, you mean like if if we were maybe going out and like trying to preach the gospel to people or? Yeah, I'm always curious on, Let's so you know, like if I come to you and I say, "Hey, uh, you, I'm going to tell you about how great this thing is and how it's touched my life," and you say to me, "Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm just not ready for it, or you know, I'm not really into this thing." For me, um, like if it was like a group thing, I could see how you can talk about was that a setback or like is there like mental gymnastics that happen? You know what I mean to kind right. of justify. That non non reception of what you're right. doing, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, especially grunt, like I, I never like walked anyone through like the sinner's prayer, quote unquote, or the, you know, the things that you were supposed to do to like make them know they were saved. Um, I never, you know, I don't think I ever knew a non Christian that I directly helped become a Christian, and. You know, that's something that weighed on me a lot. Uh, I, I remember in like elementary school, before I was even at The Rock, you know, some one of the kids, because I went to like a private Christian school, uh, <clears throat> I remember one of the kids saying how they like led a friend to Jesus. And I was just like, oh, like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, kind of feeling this inferiority and all that. And, you know, as a really quiet more you know introverted kid uh that (laughs) was not the kind of person I was yeah I don't think I was at that age I was able to look and see like oh this this kid who's telling me this is really outgoing and you know it's just kind of they're very the type of person who would do that is the type of person who you know would just be comfortable telling anyone what they think right like certain personalities were more successful than yeah I think so And so, yeah, I, de- I definitely did a lot of mental gymnastics of like, okay, well, you know, maybe God just has a different plan for me. Maybe mm-hmm. he wants to use me, you know, in a different way um, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we met because we are, we're doing like a writing club together. Mm-hmm. And that's something that was uh, in in my heart, I guess, a passion of mine ever since I was a little kid was to write. Um but I think I felt like that, like, sure, that's good and that's cool. Like, I could, you know, help people find God by writing, definitely. But I felt like it was inferior to kind of being a missionary type of person or a pastor who is directly, you know, leading people to Jesus. Did you ever talk about writing to people within the parish? Uh, did they frown upon that? and just say, we're doing this a certain way, writing isn't the way to go. How did you feel about all that? 
yeah, I think for me, it was a lot of my own anxiety about, you know, not, I don't know, writing being something vulnerable because it's, it's what I wanted to do. And I was a pretty introverted kid. And so, uh, I, I was anxious that people almost so they would think I was dumb or that my ideas were dumb, but on the same level, there would be, I remember winter camps even where during worship, uh, you know, some people would be getting slain in the spirit, whatever. Uh, a lot of the time I would just be sitting there like asking God to tell me what he wants me to do with my life. And in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, I want him to tell me to like be a writer, write books and that kind of thing. Um, and never quite feeling like I heard him for sure. You know, I think sometimes I would feel like I had impressions that he was telling me something, but ultimately I, you know, I never felt like God a hundred percent told me like, yeah, you're supposed to be a writer. And so I, I think I would look at some of the other kids who got a lot of praise in the church because they were outgoing. They weren't afraid to, you know, go up to the front of, of the the front stage during worship and, you know, put their hands up, jump up around, um, talk to people about God and, you know, go to their schools and talk to people about Jesus. And so I, I think I had this impression that it was just superior to be a missionary or a, a pastor. And so that is kind of where I invested my time as a teenager and even into college, uh, was doing that sort of thing rather than investing my time into, you know, being a writer, which is kind of what I would have rather had done. So it sounds like there's always been this undercurrent of not quite fitting in, not quite feeling like you're being encouraged to be what you wanted to be. Um, so it was almost like their entire time spent there, even if you had good experiences deep down, there's just something that, that wasn't meshing. Can you maybe talk about at what point did the switch flip? Like what started you on this journey out? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think what I, I was, we talked about this beforehand, but I was looking through some old journals and Um, I had one that started in 2007 and it was just kind of a prayer and, you know, kind of Bible study journal. Um, and you know, it would be a lot of me writing what I thought God was telling me or prayers to God or just reflecting on Bible verses. But there's one page I got to, uh, as I was looking at this notebook over again today and (laughs) suddenly it's just like questions, like it's the, the headline on the page. And it was things like, you know, why does God punish people even though he brought them into the world? Um, That sort of question. And, you know, I must have been probably 15, 15 or 16 at that point. And it's something that I had, I don't think my questions of that nature started at that point. You know, I think that was maybe just when I first heard people say, like, it's okay to ask questions. Um because, you know, as a kid growing up in church, you think like, oh, you know, I I shouldn't question God. I I should just trust him and have, you know, blind faith. Um, But there there was, I think, 
as I think, as I think about uh, my older siblings or other friends who left the church, um, I think people started to realize like, oh, we should not discourage questioning. We should, you know, tackle it. And so I think that's kind of the narrative that started to crop up as I started asking questions. And so I was like, okay, I can ask questions. I can write them down and, you know, try to figure out why things are confusing. So I, I remember being in a service very much like the winter camp service. Everyone's slain in the spirit around me. Um, this was actually at like a two week intensive camp one summer uh, in Kansas City that I went to. And I came home from that two weeks and was felt, I think for the first time, like really angry and confused at God. And I, I don't think I understood why at that point, but looking back, I had just gone through like two weeks where I barely slept. It was really high emotion all the way through. And so it really made sense that I would be emotionally drained. And, you know, the entire time I'm waiting on God to like slay me <laughs> and that never happened. And so I think kind of that me wanting something from God that God was like withholding really made me think like, you know, why, why doesn't God do this to me if I, if I really want it this badly? You know, the, the pastors say, if you want it and you ask, like, you know, God will do it. And, you know, there, I see other people having these experiences and I want them too. So like, why, why wouldn't God, you know, slay me in the spirit or give me like holy laughter, that kind of thing. So I think, I think that is sort of around that age where I started asking questions and wondering um, more about God. At what point did the actual break happen? So I started college. I joined this discipleship school that the youth pastor who kind of was, you know, my primary relationship in the church kind of raised me in a lot of ways and my friends. And so he wanted to do this discipleship school um, when a bunch of us went to college so that, you know, kind of we could stay involved in the church and be sort of student leaders um, over, you know, the next generation of high schoolers. And so I did that while going to college at a private Christian university nearby and working at Starbucks you know, a good amount. And so I really just burned myself out so fast when college started by doing all these things at the same time. Uh, I did not know how to relax really. And I had had a couple kind of existential dread experiences in high school as I learned more about some more difficult kind of philosophical questions of like, you know, do we have free will or did God predestine us? That sort of question. And I think those really came to a head in college, um, being surrounded by Christians from so many different denominations that I really saw so many different ways to interpret the Bible. And I, I felt like I couldn't make sense of what was the right way and what was the wrong way. And I ended up going and studying abroad my junior year 
and that was kind of my first break from the rock um i was there for about eight years at that point and so my thought was that you know i'd go study abroad come back and be kind of refreshed have this break and be ready to serve and lead and help out again and uh really jump back into my you know charismatic church ways and that was not the case i i came back i went to the rock i think one maybe two times and just felt so much uh weight in in my head uh of feeling just all the things i had i had grown up feeling and didn't really process until they became so big just the feeling that um the feeling that i needed to serve to be an example to people to you know worship with my hands up out in front and really you know kind of build all my emotions up for god in a worship you know session in a service and you know i realized i just didn't feel safe there i guess i didn't feel like i could relax or rest there so I started checking out different churches, uh, different denominations, ones that were, you know, maybe more theological, had longer traditions. Um, so I went to a Presbyterian church for a while, uh, checked out like Anglican churches and going to those churches, I, I kind of just felt like it was a different, different problem on a different end of the spectrum. There was a lot of kind of ego about having everything put together, having like a systematic theology. And I ended up going to a church kind of in the middle, like still believed in spiritual gifts and charismatic things, but um, focused on theology a lot and kind of the logical side of, of the faith. And I was there for probably three or four years. Uh, I got married during that time. Um, and then basically COVID hit, um, before COVID hit, I did this, another kind of leadership program at that church. And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know if another church leadership program is going to solve the doubts and questions that like, you know, as the years went on, they kind of just kept building and I kept being dissatisfied with the answers that other people were satisfied with, Um, especially because different people were satisfied with different answers on a lot of these questions. And so COVID hit and didn't really go to church because you couldn't, you know, we would listen online. Um, And then a bunch of things happened all at once with that church and it just ended up shutting down. Oh, Yeah. I understand. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was relieved when that happened, which I think is a good uh, indicator that I needed something to change in my life because, you know, if you're part of a community, you shouldn't want it to end, uh, (laughs) ideally. And so I was relieved because I didn't really have a, a tether to any church anymore. And so I really long story, but I ended up stuck in Scotland uh, during the pandemic uh, with my wife. And so 
we were yeah we were there it was it was for a work thing um but yeah basically we just kind of ended up stuck in airbnbs for like five months um during the lockdown so there really wasn't much to do um other than walk around and luckily there's a lot of nature there so that was nice but this was kind of at the peak of my uh my frustration with god and my questions and feelings yeah and on top of the frustration of pandemic (laughs) yeah exactly on top of the pandemic yeah and you know it had gotten to the point where it had probably been a year or two since i had really consistently like read the bible on my own and had a sort of devotional life um and you know i don't think there a day went by that i didn't think about that it's like it's something that i wanted but i couldn't handle um because it got to the point where i couldn't read the bible without thinking like oh you know maybe this translation interpreted this word wrong maybe this doesn't mean anything like what people say it means or how it reads in the text and you know i think going to a christian college um i ended up you know a lot of people see all the different views and figure out which one they think makes the most sense and they go along with that and you know kind of build their faith around it i think for me i saw all the different views and thought like i can see why anyone would think a lot of these things (laughs) and so everything sort of just became sort of shifting sand under my feet um and yeah where it came to the breaking point um my wife was kind of having her personal revival uh, during like somewhere in the middle of the pandemic lockdown time. So she's going the opposite way you are. Yeah, exactly. Like she's spending a long time reading the Bible, having these kind of experiences on her own. And she would want to talk to me about them. And I would just kind of stonewall it and be like, yeah, I just I can't really talk about this right now. You know, she knew that I had questions uh, for a long time, like even before we were married, we had talked about doubts and things like that. And yeah, really just kind of came to a head. And one day she, she asked me, she asked me about like this career path she was considering that would kind of put her at like a Christian university type of like, yeah, that, that sort of thing. It was sort of specifically Christian and, um, it just really like made me shut down, um, very obviously. And, um, I, I don't know how to explain the conversation itself, but basically I ended up like breaking down in tears and like crying most of the day. And, you know, we worked through just a lot of this, you know, junk in my brain or heart or spirit, whatever you want to call it that had built up over the years of um, feeling dissatisfied with questions, but feeling like I needed to have answers to be a good Christian and to know I wasn't going to hell. And so I think it got to the point where I think deep down I knew I didn't believe in it anymore, but I couldn't admit that to myself because it meant, you know, I would be going to hell and my family wouldn't, you know, it would like hurt my mom's feelings and I mean not her feelings but make her worry about me and you know I had seen her worry about my brothers and pray for them and I I didn't want to put her through that 
with, you know, one more kid. Um, and so really it just got to the point where I, I couldn't hide that anymore. <clears throat> I couldn't hide it from myself and I couldn't hide it from anyone else. I mean, you know, I could hide it from people distant from me, but definitely couldn't hide it from my wife. Um, so how, how did she take it or how is she taking it? Where, where are you all at? Yeah. So she, she took it really well. I mean, she had been wanting me to go to therapy, um, because I, I needed to, and it, I wasn't like resistant. I just had never done it before. So I was, um, I don't know, hesitant and unsure, unsure of like how to even get therapy. So this was definitely like a, okay, definitely need to go to therapy now moment. And so I started going to therapy and that was really good. And some things happened for my wife over the months following and she started going to therapy and had actually a, a Christian therapist from like better help, um, who was funky. Um, this I, podcast is not brought to you by better help. Exactly. Like every <laughs> podcast is brought to you by better help. Yeah. Sorry, not this one. Um, <laughs> but, but we'll take the money if you want to sponsor us. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, a, a few different things came together for her to where she was like, you know what? I don't know if I believe this either. Like, and you know, the conversations we had, you know, she had a lot of the same doubts or felt dissatisfied by certain answers too. And so I think, um, it, it didn't take long for us to kind of get into, you know, not the same exact place. Cause I don't know if anyone's ever in the same exact place on their journey of what they believe, but um, you know, a similar enough place. And so, yeah, at this point, like we're not Christians. Um, she has, you know, uh, her own beliefs and I have my own beliefs. Um, what about your family and your siblings? Um, what has that been like for you? That has been, it's been interesting. You know, some of them believe, some of them don't. And so I think I've, gotten closer to the ones who don't believe but you do have support within your family then it sounds like yeah i do have support and you know i think yeah i was going to talk about like the trump era but that's we don't need to get into no, that's that. not gonna that. <laughs> that's a whole yeah. um, a whole episode right but yeah definitely have support and then uh you know others uh, I, I think i still have some anxiety about what to what to say to them how to talk to them uh, i don't think i've you know i don't know if i've necessarily fully told my whole family that like i'm not a christian i think everyone knows that i had doubts and struggled with things or have been struggling with things what do you hope to i guess for your family um i'm supposing at some point you'll have some deeper conversations about all of this and what do you hope Huh, that's a hard question. It's a good one. It's a good one to ask, yeah. Yeah, what do I hope for? I mean, I think I hope for them to be accepting of who I am and where I'm at and to understand why I think the things I do and believe the things I do and see that it's not antagonistic. It's not because I hate God or that I want to live a selfish life and you know 
be debaucherous <laughs> it, and it's more just like i i couldn't hang anymore it, it just stopped making sense and so you know it's not like i want everyone to believe what i believe or stop being christians i think a lot of christians have happy meaningful lives and it, it works for a lot of people um you know i think the hard thing is that being a christian for a lot of people means that you have to see people who aren't christian as like people who are going to hell or um you know people who are outside and so i, I guess my hope would be that that's not what you know my my family friends people close to me would feel but that they would see that i was earnest about trying to understand god and that i i did everything i could to try to figure god out and be you know be a good christian and that it would basically just be okay you know that we could talk about our different beliefs and not have this tension of like oh like i want to make you believe what i believe uh, because i i'd be scared if you didn't you know i think i think that's a, a big struggle is kind of being afraid of what someone else believes that like what you believe will cause you to suffer eternally like that yeah seems like a wild thing to suffer eternally because i couldn't like <laughs> make sense of god enough to to follow you know christianity whatever christianity is because it kind of became everything and nothing to me at the end yeah, I guess I have a similar-ish relationship with my mom because she's still Christian. She's not, like, obsessed like she used to be. Like, she was part of the Seventh-day Adventists. And right. I have some pretty negative thoughts about them because they almost actually destroyed my mom's life, um, wow. which helped my mom realize she needed to leave. But she's never really given up being a Christian. You know, she just left them. And... uh yeah, when we talk, she still, you know, she knows where I stand on things and she'll occasionally say things to me about how you know, God is making her happy and being Christian is to be this and that. But at the same time, I think she knows also that she's communicating to me the way she is and she's not expecting me to be the way she is. And, and on the flip side, I just allow her to talk because that's her thing and I'm not going to judge you know, it's, um, I think we've just come to this equilibrium where we both know we're not changing each other's minds on this, mm -hmm. but we can still be together and be a family. And right. you know, there's no, no one trying to convert each other at, around the corner. Right. Right. So it sounds like you, you're hoping to be at that place too. Um, and I hope you do get there. You know, it sounds like you still have uh, a lot to process still with your family. Um, it sounds like you're there with your wife or, mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. What about, uh, you know, like friends and stuff? Yeah, with friends, it, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've told my closest friends that, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore. And uh, everyone responds a little differently, especially depending on um, what they believe right now. Because even amongst my friends, uh, there are a couple of my friends who still actually go to The Rock uh, that's definitely like the minority. Not not many people I know are still there, um, but a couple are still kind of in that 
sort of charismatic tradition. A couple have moved on to more like Anglican tradition, that sort of thing. And, you know, I think, I think in general, my friends have been understanding and um, accepting to, you know, a certain degree. But, you know, there are, there are awkward tensions here or there um, where, you know, maybe they just say something about, like, someone who's not saved acting a certain way. And uh, I'm, like, or, you know, talking about someone who is a Christian now and how they did something before they were saved. And, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, there's nothing really bad about what they did. And... I don't think anything about them being saved should change the behavior of what you're talking about. It's just kind of a goofy thing that they did or something like that. Um, so, you know, there's there are little disconnects here and there, but I think for the most part, I've been able to like keep good relationships, especially with my closest friends and, you know, be able to, you know, play board games with them, you know, do do the normal fun stuff that we grew up doing. You know, the, the friends who are my best friends today are my friends who I was best friends with at The Rock. You know, we we grew up kind of with this mission that we were going to change the world together. And we all went our separate ways. But I think we... It, it's hard to to get rid of those relationships that you grew up with people. And you, know, you did such goofy kind of teenager stuff together um and i think you know most of us have a a little bit of trauma at least from the emotionalism of the charismatic church that uh we relate even on that level even if they're still christian i think they we've all sort of experienced a little bit of that like as we've grown up we've looked back on the experience at at that church and thought like oh okay that was a little weird and <laughs> you know maybe it seemed good at the time but looking back it's like okay i can see some of the problems with that now it sounds like there's just so much more to explore from the trauma aspect of it and i know you know we've covered a lot of ground here today and i think the goal is to explore some of that trauma more with people who are from that community that you know and you know we might not have even gone into all both of our stories completely today but you know i think over time talking to others we'll be you know sharing more of our story and um I, but i think it's a good way to start in terms of establishing that what we're trying to do here is just create a safe space for people to talk about this we're not going to be too overtly judgmental though our thoughts and feelings may veer you know here and there into semi-judgment or whatever it's just part of being human um but i appreciative of you sharing your story and being vulnerable. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about my stuff eventually, but I feel like because this is very focused on a very specific community where you're from, um, it'll be interesting to hear more about what's going on there and from different perspectives, you know, men and women, and right. different personalities and personas that have come out of there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I am, you know, I said at the beginning, that's, a big part of why I want to do this is to hear other people's stories. And so, uh, it, it's fun to talk about my own story, but I think I, I'm really excited to hear what some other people went through. And I think about my story and I think I didn't have a lot of 
crazy stuff happened to me. Like, yes, I have my own trauma. I don't want to like minimize some of the things I went through, but, uh, you know, I don't think anyone was actively trying to abuse me or anything. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be everyone's story that we talk to. Um, you know, I think some people probably did go through some more intense things than I did. And so, um, It'll yeah, it's really not a contest. We're just yeah. talking to you know, exactly. Sharing. Yeah. yeah, not a contest. Yeah. <laughs> the trauma <laughs> but, Olympics. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I I want to be as open as I can about what I went through because you know if people did go through some things that they're still kind of processing and working through, I want them to have uh, you know be able to see that vulnerability in other people so that they know that they aren't alone in having left and experienced certain things that. Um, yeah, basically don't want people to feel alone. Yeah. Well, um, I'd like to thank anybody who's been listening to us. Uh, yeah. This has been great. Thank and, you. And uh, yeah, we look forward to doing more of these episodes and yeah, hearing more stories. Yeah. Thank. Thanks for interviewing me, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excited for for what's up next. All right. Cool. Great. Cue whatever outro. <laughs> 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 <laughs>